Chapter Thirteen of Cross Currents. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Mrs. McGinnis, Bobby, and the nurse had been sent at once to Houghtonsville, and were now with a rejoicing mother and grandmother in the little red farmhouse on the hill. But Mrs. Kendall and the doctor had remained in New York, she with friends, and he at a hotel not far away. Dr. Spencer had utterly refused to let Mrs. Kendall conduct a search without his assistance, and in this decision he was upheld by old Dr. Kent, now fully recovered from his injury, and quite able to care for the patients in Dr. Spencer's absence, particularly as the young man made a flying midnight trip twice a week to Houghtonsville to give a long day's assistance. The rest of Dr. Spencer's daylight hours were spent tramping the New York streets at Mrs. Kendall's side. The search was now very different from what it had been during these weeks after Mrs. Kendall had left the hospital. Then she had visited police courts and orphan asylums. Now she walked from one end to the other of the worst streets of New York, peering into the face of every little girl she met. Long hours were spent in consulting city missionaries and the kind-hearted men and women in the various homes and settlement houses. But nowhere did she find a trace of a blue-eyed, golden-haired child that had answered to the description she gave. Mrs. McGinnis had never found the courage to tell her kind benefactress of the attic room around the corner where Margaret had been taken to work each day of the week she was with them. Therefore Mrs. Kendall knew nothing of Sullivan and his sweatshop, nor did she know of the pawning of the pretty silk coat, dress, and hat. "'It wouldn't do no good to tell her them things,' Mrs. McGinnis had argued to herself. "'It's bad enough for her to know that the little thing got scared one day and run away.' That's all, anyhow, that I know about her now. That was many another attic, however, to which Mrs. Kendall climbed, and many a noisome basement which she entered. It was in one of the latter, one day, that she encountered a good-natured woman who was more than ready to talk, though still keeping on with her work of making artificial flowers. "'And so it's a pretty little gal ye be after findin', Mum, is it?' she asked. "'And it's blue eyes she got, and yellow curls?' "'Yes, yes. She was in a big hat and a black silk coat with a lace collar. "'They're probably old and shabby by this time,' murmured Mrs. Kendall apologetically. "'But it—it was all she had.' "'Sure, now. Black silk, was it?' returned the other interestedly, as she dropped a big red rose into the box at her side. "'Well, now, I sure hain't seen nothing like that, and I'd a known it if I had.' Now, there's that little girl what lives in the corner over there. She's got blue eyes, and her hair's real yellow, but is it curly? Why, maybe, kind of snarled up, you know. Mrs. Kendall shivered. You say the little girl lives here? She began hesitatingly. And she isn't yours? Yes, mum. She and the others keep house over there in the corner. Keep house? cried Mrs. Kendall. "'Yes,' nodded the other, without noticing the shocked surprise in the voice. "'With Patty Murphy and the twins. She don't belong to them neither. They just took her in, you know.' The woman by the table chuckled until her sides shook, and the little red rose in her hand danced a merry jig. "'Timid? Her timid?' "'Well, hardly now.' "'Well, hardly now. I reckon she ain't on the right track if you're after that kind.' Sure, Mag of the Alley is the terror of the Hull Street, and thar ain't a gal, and not many boys, this side of Bowery, that can hold out agin her if she takes a notion to have her own way. 
and I'm blessed if that ain't the notion she most generally does take. Dad don't no one get the best of her, I can tell ye. And yet, sure, I like her in spite of her pesterin' ways. Dad's many a good turn she's done me. Again Mrs. Kendall shivered. This time she drew away from the door with an appealing glance at the doctor. You're quite right, my good woman, she said huskily. I am very sure she's not the little girl I am looking for. Thank you for answering my questions, she added hurriedly, going back to the table and dropping two bills upon it. And and one is for her, that little girl, just for the sake of the blue eyes. She faltered as she backed out the door. Doctor, doctor, how can they live like that? She cried a little later as they hurried down the street. And to think that somewhere, somewhere in all this want and misery is my Margaret, my dear tender little girl. Sometimes, doctor, I think I shall lose my mind with the horror of it all, the awful horror of it all. That was the very thing that the doctor feared, and it was that very thing that caused him to spend what time he could at Mrs. Kendall's side. He was there when at last the frail, overtaxed body gave out, and it was he who took the broken-hearted woman back to Houghtonsville, to the lonely house with the big stone lions on either side of the steps, and the little woolly dog all alone in the middle of a sunlit room. End of chapter 13 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama